Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, my name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, a joy to welcome all of you here this morning. Welcome those of you who are watching us online. It's good for us to gather together uh, in this uh, really kind of cold day. And, uh, and so congratulations. Thanks for coming out to join us for this. I want to start this morning, and, and we're going to really be doing this for a while, but I want to start thinking about family stories. I, I would imagine almost all of us have those kind of stories. They're the, the stories we tell about mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, great-grandpa, great-grandma, uncle, aunt. Uh, about the people in our family, about the places where we came from. Some of those stories are funny stories. Some of those stories are sad stories. Some of them are tragic. And and some of them are scary. It's like, ooh, Uncle so-and-so did what? I have that uh, genetics inside of me. And so sometimes they're scary, but they're important stories because they tell us where we come from. They they give us a sense of identity. They help us know who we are. And and oftentimes they tell us what's important, right? When we tell those stories about our grandparents and so on, we say, you know, this is what mattered. This is what was important or whatever. And and like I say, sometimes they're just fun. I want to just share, give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, Brag a little bit about my great-grandpa. This is my great-grandpa. His name was Peter Kuhl, all right? And he was born in 1861 in the Netherlands, okay? He was there, and he was a, a, a fantastic ice skater, uh, at 17, he started to win competitions. He started to, to, to win prizes in the Netherlands, skating there all the time. And in 1880, okay, in 1880, Princess Wilhelmina, who was a pretty good looker, uh, Princess Wilhelmina gave to my grandpa silver skates. I was always told they're silver skates, but they're actually chrome-plated silver skates, okay? So they're not, but you know, it's some, so my great-grandpa got these silver skates from the, from the princess, Wilhelmina, who became Queen Wilhelmina. And, and so that's always kind of been a point. You can see in the picture there, he's, that's what he's holding on to. Immigrated to Holland, Michigan in 1884, and for 60 years straight, till he was 83, every winter he skated on Lake Makatawa. And so um, he was uh, just, you know, that was, that was who he was. And so that's kind of, I, I hope all of us have those kind of stories, okay, that, that kind of, again, tell us where we came from. And, and, and right up front, I want to say something as we, as we talk about family stories is they do impact us, okay? They, they have some kind of an impact on us, but we need to recognize they don't determine our future. If you've got some family stories that you just as soon forget, if you've got some, say you got to, they don't have to control us, okay? Those things don't have to control us. So as I say, I hope you have some family stories, and it's good to share those stories of, of again, parents, grandparents, and so on, if, you're, if your family's here. But part of what we recognize, and what I want to really think about this morning, is that we also have a whole other set of family stories in the Bible. <laughs> a good portion of what this book is, is telling us stories of the family of faith, telling us of, of the, the people who've gone before us in the faith. And, and again, like the other stories, some are happy, some are sad, some are tragic, and some are scary, but, but they help us know where we came from, they help us know who we are and what's important. But I want to make something clear about these stories, and whenever you're reading the family storybook, the Bible, one of the things I want to make here is more importantly, what these stories tell us is about God. In these stories, our human ancestors are not the main event. The main event is always God. It's always a story of what God is doing, and so often what these stories are are not stories that tell us that this is what we should be like, but they're stories about how God loves and blesses his messed up children. The Bible is unbelievably honest, and we're going to see it in the stories that we look at in the next several weeks, but it's unbelievably honest about some of our ancestors, 
about some of those who have gone before us. And so we're going to call this series God's Blessed Up, Messed Up People. And that's who we are. We are messed up people, but blessed up by God. Specifically, we're going to look at the character by the name of Jacob in, in the next six weeks or so, all right? Jacob is a fascinating character. His stories are told in Genesis. So again, we're right at the very first book of the Bible. These are the stories that, that we're going to turn to, very beginning of the Bible. And, and, and I just want us to recognize, again, Jacob was an essential part of God's plan. He was somebody through whom God worked. He was somebody who was absolutely essential in bringing about the salvation of the world because it was through his line that the Messiah came. He was an essential part of God's plan, but he was not much of a role model. And that's good news for those of us who are not always very good role models. And we'll come back to that at the end. Now, in order to understand Abraham, or Jacob, rather, we've got to understand his family a little bit. And that means we go back to his grandpa. The grandfather of, of Jacob was Abraham. And Abraham is somebody that we call as our grandfather as well, as our great, 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 that he is one of those that we follow. He is one that we say, you know what, he was, well, the term that we often use is he's the father of the faith. He was the one who believed. He was the one who showed us what it was like. God came to Abraham, and, and, and the world was a mess. And, and God had done some different things through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and it was just like, now all this thing is just, it's a story of things spiraling down, of things getting worse, of things being messed up. So God decides, I'm going to work through one people, and I'm going to start with one person. He comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to take care of you, and you've got to trust me. I want you to be a person of faith. I want you to follow me. And so Genesis 12, verse 1, God comes in. Abraham really doesn't know God well at this point. His name is still Abram. God is going to change it to Abraham. But God comes to Abram, to Abraham and says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country. All right, leave. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. So Abram's there, he's out there, and, 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 and he's married to Sarah, and, 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 and he gets this vision from God, he gets this call from God, and God says, you've got to leave behind this stuff. You've got to leave behind this stuff and just go. And, and, and you can imagine Abram saying, where am I going to go? Don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you get there. And we call him the father of faith. One of the big reasons is because he went. He heard the call in Ur of the Chaldees over here in this area. God says, Abram, Go, and he does. He travels through, goes through Babylon there, up to Haran, and he spends a fair amount of time there. He was there for a number of years, and his father was there as well. And then God called him to go down to what we call the promised land, and that's the place that God was giving to Abraham. And so Abraham is the father of faith. He is the one who shows us what it's like to, to just take a radical leap of faith. I mean, to leave everything else behind and to jump out and say, God, okay, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going to go with you. And, and so he is that great picture of faith. Oh, he failed. <laughs> don't worry, we get stories of his failure. We've looked at those in, the, in a couple of years ago, but um, he failed. But there's one other reason why, why Abraham is really important, and that is that he is identified as the carrier of the promised one. And, and that term, we, what the world does that mean, Ron? Let me tell you, the, the carrier of the promised one. You see, when God comes to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you thousands and thousands of descendants. But God also comes to Abraham and says, and I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to work through you. It's never just about Abraham or about the people of Israel. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. 
you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And, 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 and so God says to Abraham, and, and we get the idea as it goes on, that, that somewhere down the line, one of the descendants of Abraham is going to be the one who is, well, what became known as the Messiah. He's the one who's going to be the savior of the world. That, that somewhere through Abraham's descendant, there's going to be one who comes, who brings new life to everybody, who's the savior of the world. So Abraham, Grandpa Abraham, the father of the faith, the carrier of the promised one, and, and so he's going to need descendants. And that becomes an immediate problem because Abraham's wife, Sarah, is childless. Again, some of you know the story, but she's 89 years old and she hadn't had a baby yet. Abraham's 99 years old, and, 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 and so it's like, okay. And, and, and I want you to recognize that, because part of what we have to recognize that is in God's story, in our family story of God, there, there are a lot of times when, from a human perspective, it looks done. It looks like God's story is over. It's not going to happen. I mean, here we are, one generation, and there's nobody else to carry it on. But if you know the story, finally, when Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 90, Sarah gets pregnant. And she has a baby. So Abraham and Sarah have Isaac, whose name means laughter, partially because when Sarah found out she was going to have a baby, she laughed, but also because this was a joke. I mean, seriously, none of us, no, thank you, God. But this Isaac, now we have one. We have one who is the carrier of the promised one. He is the carrier of the promised one. All right, so we got the second generation here, but again, we're going to need another one. So Abraham, when Isaac gets to an age of, of marrying, I, Abraham, and we'll come back to this later, but he does something that we still, I don't know if people still do it today, I don't know, but the, when he, he sent somebody back to the old country. He sent a servant to Haran and said, get a wife for her. Don't want her marrying any of the local girls. And so go back to the old country and bring back a wife, okay? So, so he brings back Rebecca and, and marries Rebecca. All right, same problem. Rebecca is childless. And again, we're saying, God, seriously? <laughs> You're going to bless the whole world? And, and it's just like falling apart again. But after 20 years, this time she finally becomes pregnant. And this is where we get introduced to Jacob, okay? So Genesis 25, 21. Here's where we start the stories of Jacob. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. And again, they would have been so excited. We're going to have a baby, and Abraham's going to be a grandpa, and everybody was excited about that, and, and with good reason. But what he's got to understand is that, that it was even more important that the line of the carrier of the promise will continue. That that line will continue. There is hope for the world because finally Rebecca is pregnant and she's going to have a baby, all right? Now, this was not an easy pregnancy. It was a, and I'm not saying there are any easy pregnancies. I just realized that. Forgive me if you thought I said that. Uh, I have never, never been pregnant and I don't want to be, okay? And I'm not saying there are easy ones, but this was a, a really difficult pregnancy because she had twins and the babies jostled each other within her. Now, I, again, I've never had babies. I've never had twins and, 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 and but, but these were twins, and it's not just the size. It's not just the, there's not a lot of room there. These babies were fighting from conception, okay? These babies were fighting from the very beginning. And it says jostled each other. It's a little bit cleaned up because literally in the Hebrew, they smashed each other. They smashed against 
each other. And so you have these two kind of rams, these boys inside of her, and they just are going at it. And you can just imagine, she's like, whoa, this is horrible. And they, it didn't happen just once, and it didn't happen just a couple of times, and it kept happening, and it kept happening, and it kept happening, and it was going on and on. And finally, Rebecca just said, she said, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Again, in the Hebrew, literally what she says is, if this is my life, I'd rather die. If this is my life, why am I here? This is not a fun pregnancy. So she went to inquire of the Lord. And on the way there, it probably happened again. And she is just going, God, why is this happening to me? I wanted a baby, but this is so all painful. They are fighting with each other. Um, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Now, not literal nations. I think she might have felt like, yeah, it feels like there are about 20 in there. But no, I mean, these two boys are going to become two separate nations, and they're always going to be fighting. Two peoples from within you will be separated. And then this really interesting line. (laughs) One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger. This was very unusual, especially in that day. Because it was always the oldest who had the birthright. It was the oldest who was in charge. It was the oldest who had all the rights. It was the oldest. And the others were kind of left to pick up the, the pieces. But already here we're learning an important thing about God. And that is that, that God does things His way. He's not stuck by the stories of our past. That's one of the reasons why I say, you know, whatever stories you got in the past, God writes new stories. He's not stuck with the patterns of this world. God is not controlled by those patterns of this world. And so he can do what he wants. And he's going to use the younger to lead the older. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And this is just, I mean, their birth itself. You just, this is so, I mean, these are boys who are just at each other. Even in the womb, even in the birth. The first to come out was red. Whether that's his skin or his hair color, he was red. And, and that red is going to be important in this. His whole body was covered like a hairy garment, okay? <coughs> he came out and he looks really like, like he's got fur. I mean, that's what it's talking about. So he's red, he's covered with hair, and they named him Esau, which means hairy, okay? So Esau comes out first, all right? So he makes his appearance. Now, usually when people have twins, baby A is born, and then 10 minutes later, 8 minutes later, 20 minutes, whatever, baby B is born. Oh, no. No, you gotta, you got to know Jacob. He's not letting anybody pull one over on him. He might not have won the battle to get out first, but he will not be far behind. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's Harry's heel. <laughs> And so he was named Jacob. So, so Esau comes out, and Jacob is there, and he's grabbing onto that heel. He's saying, I'm not, you're not getting away from me, man. I will catch you. I will, get, I will do whatever it takes. And, and, and that's why he was named Jacob, because Jacob means he grasps, or it means the schemer. So we got Harry and the schemer, these two boys who are going to go at it. And so, yeah, Esau, uh, Jacob is there, tries to pull out. He can't. They're there. All right. So this is the battleground. The womb was the battleground. Now the birth canal was the battleground, and now it continues. We got Esau, who's red and hairy, and we got Jacob, who's a schemer. All right, he is a schemer. And just stop a second 
And think about this. One of them is going to be the carrier of the promise. And I just think, God, seriously, you had everybody on the face of the earth at that time, and by the third generation, these are your choices? (laughs) These boys who are at each other's throat all the time? Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The differences didn't end there. They continued to to separate. They continued to do things differently. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. All right, Esau is the guy who's out in the backyard. He's the guy who's who's shooting animals. He's the guy who loves to go on the three weeks of hunting camp. He's the guy who's just always outdoors. We got Esau, red and hairy. Now he's a hunter, and he's always outdoors. And Jacob, well, he's kind of the opposite. He's not a man of his fists, he's a man of his brains. Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. And if the words mama's boy just went through your head, that's kind of right. That doesn't mean that that he never went outside of the tents, but what it means is that for Jacob, the schemer, he was more of a herdsman, okay? Not a hunter, but a herdsman or a trader. And he kind of stayed indoors. As I thought about this, I thought, you know what? I, I, I know we don't have this as much in our day and age, but I still, whenever I shake hands with one of you guys who works outside and like works with your hands for a living, I always feel like, oh, I'm sorry. Because, I mean, I might have a callus or two from typing, but these hands aren't like calloused and strong and tough. <laughs> and I appreciate you guys who are real men and who have those kind of things and so on. But, right, I mean, we still, we have that sense of, of, of how things kind of work. And so these guys, and they continued to just, well, they just continued to go after each other and to battle now on the outside. Got a dysfunctional set of boys here. But let's just recognize that in our family tree, dysfunctional parents abound as well because now Isaac and Rebecca get mixed into the whole thing. They really didn't handle this situation very well. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, he loved Esau. Isaac chose a favorite. It was clearly he was with Esau. And it's interesting because we're told why <laughs> right up front. Because Esau could feed him. Because Esau, and Isaac loved to eat. And, and Esau gave him wild game. And so, I mean, in the Hebrew, again, literally, it says, because Esau was putting food in his mouth. Because Esau, okay, I love you, boy, because you take care of me. That's not good parenting. Isaac loved Esau, and well, mom's not out of the picture. Rebecca loved Jacob. She was a schemer just like Jacob. And so she connected with Jacob. So now we have mom and dad who are also contributing to a divided family here. Isaac with Esau and and Rebecca with Jacob, and they become little bulls in the whole situation. And they go after each other, and they fight. And, And let's just recognize it's a bad parenting move. It's a bad parenting move for both Isaac and Rebecca because when they were fighting, the boys were fighting. And it was a mess. One of the reasons I want to set all this up is to say, you know what, if, if you're looking at the Bible, and sometimes we do this to say, okay, God, I want to have, and this is a good desire, God, I want to have a godly family. So let's look at the Bible about moral examples. Let's look at the Bible about good parents. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. If we were looking for moral lessons, so far the story says don't be like Isaac because he's a bad dad and don't be like Rebecca because she's a bad mom. This book is not primarily about morals. Okay, friends? It's about God. 
the boys continue to fight, and we get a, a battle that we're told about next. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. And Esau's out, he's hunting, he's done, he came up empty. So he's back, and he is just dying of hunger. And, and Jacob has been in the tents, and he's, he's got some stew going on there. He's making that. Who knows, maybe he's trying to say, I'll win my dad's approval, I'll feed him, see if he likes my stew. He does that. Esau comes in, and he says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Bro, help me out. I need, I'm just dying here. Give me some of that red stew. And in fact, what he says is not just red stew. And again, red is important because that's what Harry was, right? That's what Esau was. He was red. And, and, and again, not just give me some of that. It's, it's in the Hebrew again. It's give me some of that red, red stuff. Give me some of that red, red stuff because I'm red, right? <laughs> and, and, and so it's like, I'm just, he's, he is so hungry for this. And we get a little explanation here. That is why he was also called Edom. Esau, Edom, and you might have heard of the Edomites. If you haven't, that's okay. We'll read about them later. But the Edomites were descended from Esau because Edom means red. So hairy and red is, is, are the two names that we have for Esau, and they mean hairy and red, Esau and Edom. And, and also, one other little thing, I don't want to make too much of this, but I think we can recognize the red stew perhaps implies that it's a meat stew. This is, this is some, some meaty stew. So Esau breaks in and he says, give me some of that stew. I'm, I'm famished. And Jacob, uh, I mean, you have to understand, this, this had to come off as a joke at first, right? Because it's ridiculous. Jacob, the schemer, he, he replied and he said, well, first sell me your birthright. I'll give you some stew, bro, but first you sell me your birthright. And, and until we understand what a birthright was, we don't understand how crazy this was. A birthright was a huge deal. It belonged to the firstborn son. And again, Esau beat Jacob by that much. So Esau has the birthright. And what it meant is he got a double portion of the inheritance. And even more important, he will become the head of the family. So when Isaac is gone, Esau is in position to take over everything. Esau has all of that. And, and so in a sense, what we got here is Jacob saying, Esau comes in and says, I need the bowl of stew. And Jacob says, 10 years, give me $10 million and it's yours. <laughs> Seriously? It's a bowl of stew for, stew for $10 million? <laughs> Jacob can't be serious. But Esau kind of thought he was. <laughs> He says, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? And here we see the foolishness of Esau. Esau says, I don't care what's going to happen in 10 years. I won't be around if I don't get something to eat. I, 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 I need this right now. I am dying. I'm famished. So I don't care. And again, if we were in, in, in the people who heard this story first, it would have been, come on, now Esau isn't really thinking about this, is he? I mean, seriously, we're talking about a bowl of stew, and we're talking about $10 million. We're talking about the inheritance. We're talking about the name of the family. We're talking about all of that. But Jacob, and, and, and you just got to say, this guy's not a good person. When your brother comes in and he's starving to death and you say, for $10 million, I'll give you a sandwich. You're not a good person. <laughs> you are not a good person if you do that. But Jacob is serious. And Esau is foolish, so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Esau agrees. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some, hmm, lentil stew. 
again, don't make too much of it, but it's interesting because I think the author here, the storyteller, wants to say, you know how foolish Esau was? It wasn't even beef stew. The red, red stuff, we were all thinking it's beef. No, this is just beans. Bean soup for $10 million a bowl. You are nuts. Esau ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau Esau despised his birthright. So in the first major battle after the birth battle, Esau and Jacob go at it. And in this one, Jacob comes out on top. He gets the birthright for a bowl of soup. And you might think about Genesis 25, 23. Remember what the Lord said to Rebekah? The older. The older will serve the younger. And the world is upside down. And so we have this family of ours. Esau loses and he doesn't really even know it. He just walks away. (laughs) My stomach is full. We'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. I don't care. I just needed something to eat, and I got it. Esau (coughs) lost, and he doesn't even know it. Jacob won, but not God's way. Jacob now has the birthright, but he got it his way, not God's way, and that's going to cost him. And so let's add on some more moral lessons here. Don't be like Isaac, don't be like Rebekah, don't be like Esau, and don't be like Jacob. Because Isaac is a bad dad, Rebekah is a bad mom. We're going to see more of that from her. Esau is a short-sighted fool, and Jacob is a manipulative loser. User, rather. (laughs) Friends, that's us. (laughs) This is your family. And this is God's chosen people. They all failed. And and, and that's why I say one of the things I think we need to understand is God has no good options. (laughs) God has no good options. We're in the third generation already, including the second generation, and God has no good options. There's nobody that you say, there's a hero for God's people. There's somebody I want to be like. That's somebody who, who I can see why God chose them. I could see why God was using them. That's not the case. There's a lesson of saying they're all failures and so are we. God has no good options. Well, if that's not the main lesson, what is? And here's, friends, what we need to get from this story. (laughs) Here's what's important. The failure doesn't stop God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. These guys all failed. These guys all checked themselves out, should have been all eliminated from the running for being the carrier of the promised one. None of them deserved it. None of them were good enough. None of them were wise enough. And they all should have been checked out. But their failure does not stop God. It's a story that God continues to work. It doesn't stop God from loving them. And it's crazy, but you look at it and you say, God doesn't stop. He just keeps coming back. And we're going to see this throughout the family stories and the rest of the Bible. God keeps coming back. And he keeps saying, I know I should get rid of you, but I love you. I love you. And I'm not going to let your failure stop me from loving you. Because I am one who loves you. doesn't stop God from using them. Jacob's going to be a carrier of the promised one. And if God can use Jacob, friends, you got it made. I mean, he is just manipulative, and yet that doesn't stop God. And it doesn't stop God from saving the world. This is one of those places where God would have said, it's, it's not worth it. I tried this family thing, 
You guys just don't deserve it. But God kept the Messiah line going. And eventually he sent his son Jesus. And as I was thinking about it this week, I thought, you know what? One of the ways to look at what Jesus did is Jesus lived a perfect life and then he went to a cross and he died for us. And in a sense, what happened is God, made, uh, Jesus, the Father, both of them, the Spirit, they made a bad trade. Just like Esau did. $10 million for a bowl of soup. My life for the Son of God. God it doesn't make sense. It's a foolish trade for Jesus to give up his life for me. It's a foolish trade. It's like giving up $10 million for a bowl of soup. It's worse than that. But that's how much God loves you. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God who is there. He doesn't let our failures stop him. And that's the good news for us. Our failures don't stop God. They don't stop God from loving us. They don't stop God from saving the world. And they don't stop God from using us. Friends, this is a story about grace. It's not primarily a story about Jacob and Esau or Isaac and Rebecca. It's not a story about how to be a good brother. It's not a good story about how to be a good parent. It's a story about God. It's a story about God who says, I'm not going to stop and I'm not going to let you stop me. And I will do what it takes to make you new. I, I hope when you hear that, you say, okay, God, I, help me just to do the best I can to be your way. And not because God's going to stop loving me if I don't. But nobody loves you like that. Nobody else loves you like that. Our family is pretty messed up. Our Christian family, church family, all of our other families this morning in the midst of that we can give thanks that God doesn't give up when we mess up let's pray together Father uh, I'd like to believe that we're yours because you have good taste I'd like to believe that you invited us to be part of your family because the trade was worth it Father it wasn't Remind us that it's grace, 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 grace. That your love overcomes our failures. And, and Father, help us to remember there's life nowhere else. Forgive us for our foolishness and give us wisdom of trusting in you. And so, Father, thanks for loving us even when we mess up. Thanks for loving us when we're selfish. Thanks for loving us when we put ourselves first. And do change our hearts. Do change our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction? Again, following our service, there are going to be some folks from Hillside in the prayer room if you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody. People of God, as you go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with you. And he doesn't stop. Go in God's grace. Amen.